Welcome to Shabbat Replay, a highlight of Mishkan Services. This week's episode is the sermon from Friday, February 25th. Following the Russian invasion of Ukraine, Rabbi Lizzie connects current events to ancient ones, and Rashi's retelling of the building of the Mishkan to a more modern retelling of a cinematic classic. start by talking about Star Wars tonight. Is that okay? <laughs> I, I promise my words will be about more than Star Wars, but um, I wanted to start with Star Wars because sometimes life imitates art and sometimes art imitates life. And sometimes it's easier to talk about art than it is to talk about life. So one of the ways that Henry my husband, knew that I was the right partner for him was that I cried during Star Wars The Force Awakens when we saw it in the theater both times. (laughs) In many ways, The Force Awakens is just a remake of the 1977 original. However, there are some characters in the new one that were real wins. And one of those characters is Finn. And Finn is a stormtrooper who defects from the anonymous, mechanized, you know, faceless, synchronized marching band of stormtroopers. Uh, and he darts away with this other new character, Poe, who is basically Han Solo, um, in order to get out of the army of the First Order the army of the dark side. And originally it's sort of simply to save himself, but eventually his heart is opened and he joins forces to fight alongside the resistance and the good guys. And he eventually, you know, liberates the rest of the universe from the first order. Finn starts off in the white uniform of the dark side and he, and it turns out that individuals are more complicated then their uniforms, and then the side they fight for, and Finn ends up being a good guy, even a hero. And if you'd seen the original, The Force Awakened felt very familiar. And a lot about this moment for many people feels very familiar. It feels like we've seen this one before. Like maybe we read about it in a history book, but it's calling up something within us that feels very familiar. The characters and the names may be different, but the role in the story that's being played feels frighteningly familiar. This moment feels traumatizingly familiar for anyone who lives through, who lived through and remembers the Cold War, which includes a lot of people in this room, not everybody. Um, But raise your hand if you had nuclear bomb drills in school, right? So now they have active shooter drills in schools, but once upon a time, not that long ago, they had nuclear bomb drills where everybody hide under your desks because we were in the middle of a cold war with an enemy overseas and a nuclear war could break out at any time, right? Um, I mean, as if ducking under your desk would protect you from an atomic bomb. 
Um, it's a little, little, too little, too late. Um, but this, this moment feels frighteningly familiar also for anyone who fled the Soviet Union, right? Which includes many in our community, actually. Um, Chicago is the largest population of Ukrainians outside of the Ukraine, certainly in the United States. Um, and what we're seeing today reverberates with the echoes of history that happened not that long ago, like on that soil. Ask any friend from the Soviet Union. They remember this feeling. This moment feels eerily familiar for anyone who knows enough world history to recognize an authoritarian leader when you see one, when you hear the rhetoric and the lies of one, and you know the lengths that one goes to to attain land and resources and dominance and power. And that is scary. And so this moment also feels familiar as we Americans can look over our own history and observe the places where our government chose to involve ourselves in conflicts overseas to protect American interests, to protect democracy, to protect people, and where we didn't. And as Jews, we know the feeling of watching the most powerful military in the world ignore people under attack. We know that feeling. And as Americans, we also know the feeling of being mired in wars overseas for outcomes that are often dubious at best um, and often quite destructive. And so it's really complicated. This moment feels just really hard, hard to sit with, hard to figure out. And I'm not going to stand here tonight and pretend to be an expert here, because I am not. I am absolutely not. Um, I, like you, have been, maybe like you, have been like shaking my fist at whatever device I've been hearing the news from, my fist, my head, you know, struggling with the frustration of not being able to do anything meaningful, you know, from where I sit, from where any of us sits but feeling like the situation demands something, you know, of each one of us. Today, as I was, as I was on my way back from a funeral in Arlington Heights, I look up and over a viaduct on the highway are like seven people with signs and posters that say, you know, go home Putin, just say no to Putin, you know? And I thought like, good for you guys, you know? They were doing something in a moment when it's very hard to know what's the appropriate thing to do. I affirm and I bolster all of the thousands of Ukrainians and Russians, for that matter, who are pleading with Russia to pull back and put down arms. I want to say to our community members from the former Soviet Union, we see you, we are here for you, and we are with you in all of the ways that you are worrying right now about friends and family who are over there, who are wondering whether or not to stay or go, what to do, and worrying desperately about their safety. So I can stand here and say that Jewish tradition affirms the right of anybody under attack to fight back, to defend themselves. And to the extent that those of us are here, are sitting here in a Unitarian church in Chicago in this 
loving Jewish community or just, you know, from wherever we're sitting that is not Kiev, that is not somewhere that's under bombs or missiles. So I want to ask us to not be sucked in to the drama that as it is being portrayed, wherever it's being portrayed, to continue to bring a fresh mind, to continue to bring a perspective that is the benefit and the privilege of distance, you know? Um, there is an alternative narrative to the dark versus light, dark side versus um, dark side versus light side, you know, the sort of Star Wars simplification of the world. Um, and even though we may not be able to change Putin's mind about making a war, we can remember our humanity and the humanity of all of the people who are mired in conflict on the other side of the world. Because as people, people can be swayed, people can be moved. So recognizing that there's a limit to what any of us can do over there. But there's a lot that we can do in here and, and in here. And in here is where a lot of the drama is happening, frankly, for any one of us processing what's going on in the world. So I wanna now just shift gears away from geopolitics into Torah. Because this is how Jews process the world. And because this is how we remember who we are as we process the world and who we are as the world comes to us, even in its dark darkness and brokenness, as, as Rabbi Stephen described, how do we remember the posture we would like to stand with in the midst of it? How do we remember the ways that we want to respond and who we want to be in the story? Right? So I want to tell you a fun and weird story from the Midrash about this week's Torah portion. That's like the weirder version of the backstory of, some, of a character like Finn in Star Wars. All right, you guys like up for some weird Midrash? Yeah. Okay, all right. So this week in the Torah, we read about the coming together of all of the parts of the Mishkan. This community, Mishkan, our, the namesake of this, this space, is the Mishkan in the Torah, which is this traveling tabernacle. And so this week we read about how the gold and the silver and the copper all came together to make the tent pegs and the sockets and the beams and the poles and how they all fit together. And they were all put together by this particular artisan named Betzalel, who you know, was somehow like an architect and an interior designer and a builder all in one for the most demanding client ever, God. Um, and this week we read about the coming together of this beautiful space and all of the implements that went inside of it. And so there's this one particular detail that the Torah mentions, and it's a copper wash basin at the entrance of the Mishkan. And it says that it's made out of the mirrors of the throngs. Marot ha-tzvaot. Do any of you know what that means? The mirrors of the throngs? Like, I know that Torah is weird, and usually when you, like, read a weird thing in an ancient book, you're like, you know, sort of zone it out, like, well, I don't, you know, I don't know what that means, but I don't know what a lot of things mean, turn the page. 
But like, let's say you cared deeply to know what material this was, this mirrors of the throngs and wanted to like, what question would you ask? Like what, like what, what possibly could this, what is a throng, first of all? <laughs> okay, throngs of people, sure. Okay, so the mirrors of the, th so it's still very, it's, it's still very unclear. Even if you translate throngs as people, actually in many, um, in many uh, translations of Torah, the Jewish ones at least, they'll translate it as the mirrors of the women. And so you'll have to see in a second what that's about. But anyway, the Midrash picks up on this and goes, ooh, the mirrors of the throngs. Let's go there. What's that about? So, so the Midrash basically says to us, come children, sit down. Let me tell you a story. Okay? So the copper mirrors, these copper mirrors came from women who brought them to the Mishkan to contribute them to build this copper bowl. What do you do with a mirror? You look in it to see how beautiful you are. Moses says, God, I don't want those mirrors, those tools of vanity, corroding the purity of the Mishkan, corrupting the The Mishkan is a holy space. Those mirrors are about vanity. I can't use those. God says, do you have any idea where those mirrors came from, Moses? And Moses is like, oh, I'm, I'm sure you're going to tell me. <laughs> and, and God says, those mirrors came in handy when, way back in Egypt, during hundreds of years of slavery, when men in particular, because they were the ones doing backbreaking labor out in the fields, lost their morale, were completely defeated, demoralized, dehumanized by that work, had completely lost any sense of self-confidence and definitely any sense of sex drive. When they were depressed, they decided, sort of collectively, just by inertia, that they were not going to create another generation. What's the point in creating another generation when the world looks and feels like this? They figured. Why bring children into this world? And so they stopped. And all of the women decided to stage an insurrection. So they took these mirrors, stuck them in their bag, they took lunch and they stuck it in their bag and they went out on the lunch break of their husbands. Actually doesn't say husbands. You kind of get the sense that it was like, you know, <laughs> it was a party out there. The women went out into the fields and they would take their mirrors and they would take lunch and they would say, here, have some food. And they would sit and eat. And then once they'd eaten a little something, she would take out the mirror and she would look at herself and then she would turn it to him. And then she would say, I'm more beautiful than you are. And then he, his competitive spirit aroused, would say, no, you're not. I'm more beautiful than you are. And they would go back and forth like this, the Midrash says, until they were rolling around making babies. <laughs> making the next generation who would, in fact, walk out on their own two feet from Egypt as free people. And so that copper wash basin honors the creativity and the resilience and the imagination and the sexuality and the playfulness that the women brought to that dark situation that was actually the tool for liberation. These mirrors, like they didn't have much, but they had mirrors and they used what they had 
in the service of imagination and imagination in the service of liberation. And so God says to Moses, you will, in fact, take those mirrors and put them into the Mishkan. So the throng, says the Midrash, are the thousands and thousands of children who were born, who lived to see redemption because their parents had the creativity and force of will and imagination to not succumb to the narrative that the story had already been written and that the fate was inevitable and that things would have to go as they had gone before. Right? These people had the faithfulness to actually believe they could write a different future. And that was faith. And so this was a campaign of rehumanizing all these people through food and through mirrors. And the reward, of course, is that the, what went into this wash basin was the water that would cleanse people as they came and went from the Mishkan and help people transform. You know, those mirrors held a kind of transformational power. So, I think of how we repurpose, how we can repurpose, how we might repurpose the tools of our everyday lives such that we shift our mindset from whatever depressed, demoralized, unhappy, frustrated sense of inevitability that we may live with. How might we do that? How might we look at a mirror with a sense of possibility, but not just a mirror? Like, I hope that when we leave tonight, you sort of look around and actually wonder about everything because everything is up for grabs and everything can be repurposed into a tool of healing or a tool of hurting. Yehuda Amichai has a beautiful poem where he talks about they will beat their swords into plowshares and never will they know war anymore. You know that one? He says, don't stop at plowshares. He says, take your spears and beat them into plowshares and then turn them into musical instruments. So that if you want to make war, first you have to take your musical instrument and turn it back into a plowshare. So I want to I pray right now that our Ukrainian brothers and sisters and cousins can remember within themselves that though the world may look very dark right now, they mustn't succumb to a sense of inevitability, that they have agency. I want to pray that our Russian brothers and sisters can muster within themselves a resistance to a leader who feels very much like a modern day pharaoh and exhibit the bravery of some other characters, some other powerful women. We read about a few weeks back, Shifra and Pua, the Egyptian midwives who had the courage to resist their own commander. We, we can donate. Mishkan has posted, we've just been using social media to post links, um, the Joint Distribution Com Committee and many other humanitarian aid groups are working on the ground. You're here, like there, the Jewish community is very mobilized around this because I think the fourth largest Jewish community in the world is in Ukraine. Um, and there are a lot of Jewish people there, um, a lot of elderly Jewish people there, a lot of survivors there. And, um, and that's another place that you can send funds and resources. You can also check in on your friends. 
who you know have family or came themselves from the former Soviet Union just to see how they're doing, you know, here. We can keep praying that this madness ends with as little damage to people and property as possible. History can repeat itself. You know, I think for those of us who encountered World War II history, it really always has just felt like a history that could not ever possibly repeat itself. And, and this moment feels, as I said, frighteningly familiar in a way that I don't think I ever expected in my lifetime to feel. And history doesn't have to repeat itself. And what it's up to is individual people like you and me making different choices from places of awareness and from places of practice. And so when we study Torah like this and remind ourselves of the women with the mirrors, or of course, of a character in Star Wars who had the courage to do something different than everyone around him, we remind ourselves that things do not have to be the way that they are presented and that the narratives we inherit or are told can be changed, but they're only changed by people, people like us. May we continue to use the tools that we have in the service of liberation for all people in whatever way we can. You've been listening to Shabbat Replay on Contact High, a podcast from Mishkan Chicago. If you enjoyed this sermon and want to join us live, tune into Shabbat services through Facebook most Fridays of the month and through Zoom two Saturday mornings a month. Our schedule of services and programs can be found at mishkanchicago.org slash events, where there's also a link to donate and support our work. And you can visit us on Facebook or Instagram at Mishkan Chicago. As always, we want to hear from you. On behalf of Teen Mishkan, thanks for tuning in. Mm-hmm.